all those branches that do not bear fruit, he takes away those branches. And those that do bear fruit, he prunes those branches that they may bear more fruit. He had declared that they were all clean, that is, 11 of the disciples. Remember, this is his discourse that he gave the night that he instituted the Lord's Supper. And it's only going to be hours away from when he's going to be arrested. He said, all are clean except for one, and that one, of course, is Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot left to betray him. So we, we looked at that cleanness. What does it mean to be clean? And it means to be justified from one's sins. To be cleansed means to possess eternal salvation. I mentioned last week, is it possible then, when you consider the metaphor that Jesus gave, this vine that, that you're attached to, the branch, and it, it gets all of its nourishment from the vine, because Jesus said, you can't do anything unless you abide in me. Is it possible for that uh, branch to lose its salvation? And we started looking at that last week. Basically, it's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. And, of course, we indicated the answer to that question is, no, it is not possible for someone to be abiding in Jesus, receiving that nourishment from Jesus, and to be eternally lost. Probably next week we'll get into it and talk about some of the uh, heresies of the federal vision that deny the perseverance of the saints by implication of their whole theological view. And I will give you what they interpret the parable of John, I mean the metaphor of John 15. And you go wrong on that metaphor, you are going to go astray big time theologically, and we're going to see how they do that and how tragic it is. Now, the disciples, the 11, did not leave Jesus because they were true disciples. They are genuine believers. And Judas left because he wasn't a genuine believer. You remember what Jesus said about him? Even when he chose him to, be, to follow him, he, he said he was a demon from the beginning. Jesus always knew that Judas was going to be the one who would betray him. Now, so the, the importance is we looked at that important distinction that our confession of faith makes between two things, the visible church and the invisible church. Whether you like those terms or not, doesn't matter. It's conveying biblical truth that we looked at of what Romans 9, Paul says, not everybody who's in the covenant is of the covenant. Not all those who are physically descended from Abraham are of the faith of Abraham. Meaning, it is possible to be in a covenant, to be a physical descendant of Abraham, and by extension, we're going to say, it is possible to be baptized into the visible church and yet not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
which without that baptism, none of us could ever be saved. So that distinction is extremely important. And what Jesus is is saying in this metaphor is this. There are some branches who abide in me. They're the invisible church. Our, Our confession makes that very clear. There are some branches that are dead, and when they're dead, and you've seen it in the trees. I've got some trees in my backyard. Been this way for years. And you know, well, that's a dead branch. Because it, ha- it doesn't come out in the spring, doesn't bear the leaves. And the reason it doesn't bear fruit is because it is dead. And we're going to see what Jesus says. What do you do to a dead branch? Well, we'll see in a minute. But again, it's important that we understand that Judas left, and we looked at some verses last week about apostasy. We looked at Hebrews chapter 3, we looked at Hebrews 6, <coughs> we looked at Hebrews 10, and we saw that uh, there are some things in those passages where it sure looks like they're genuine believers, but the text makes it very clear that they were not genuine believers. The reason they weren't genuine believers, and Hebrews 10 makes that clear, because they didn't bear fruit. And Jesus makes it very clear. We're going to talk about verses 6 and 7 here in a moment. But look at verse 8. This is so conclusive. John fifteen eight. By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. The proof that we belong to Jesus really and truly and that we haven't been faking it and that we're not imposters is that we bear fruit. Turn with me to 1 John, talking about this apostasy. Turn to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse uh, 15. Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world's passing away, it's lust, but the one who does the will of God abides forever. Children, it's the last hour just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Stop right there. The Antichrist is not some person in the future. The Antichrist has been in existence since the days of the apostles. And we're going to see in the text who Antichrist is. Verse 18, even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had were really of us, they would have remained. In other words, they apostatized. And that's the proof they weren't really among us, the inspired writer says. In order that they may be shown they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, 
and you all know. I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lies are the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. We'll stop there. So anybody who doesn't believe that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh, and today our modern counterparts would be the Mormons, would be the Jehovah's Witnesses, would be anybody, because they don't believe in the deity of Christ. You don't believe in the deity of Christ, you don't have the anointing, you're not of the truth, you're of the lie. There are those that left because they weren't genuinely of the faith. And we're told in verse 20. Uh, seven down here. And you, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true, and is not a lie. Just as he taught you, you abide in him. Now, remember what Jesus said? The branch must abide in me. If you abide in me, guess what? You're going to believe in me, and you're going to bear fruit. And part of the fruit is you're going to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you're going to have a life of holiness. You're going to bear the, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see here, this anointing, now who's this, who is the one who does the anointing? Well, the Holy Spirit. What did Jesus say to them in John 14? I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to abandon you. In fact, it's going to be greater. It's going to be to your advantage I go away because when I go away, I'm going to send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. And he will come to them on the day of Pentecost with, so, with great power. And it will, he will abide with them. And the, all the disciples were, were totally different after the day of Pentecost. Now, they had the Spirit before, but they didn't have the Spirit of the magnitude as it were at the day of Pentecost. Well, let's talk about this Reformed doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, because that's what Jesus is referring to. If one is truly justified, he or she will be sanctified not baby, they will be. Now, there's several, several passages that we could, let me address. I'll just throw uh, several of them out. We don't, we'll turn to a couple of them. But one great passage is 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are new. That's why those who are truly converted, they're different. They're totally different. Philippians 1.6 is a great passage on the perseverance of the saints. I want you to turn to that one, Philippians 1.6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Maybe? No, not maybe. Will perfect it. And what is this day of Jesus? 
the day of Christ Jesus is the day of his return. It is, the, it is called the last day. It is the day of resurrection. It is his second coming. It's when all things are brought to a culmination on planet earth. And so we see, it says, if God has started a work within you, it's a guarantee he will see it to the end. So our perseverance in the saints is not something that you and I just muster up the strength to do. It's something that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to do. Years ago with some extended family members on my wife's side who loved the Lord, but they were of Arminian persuasions. We, we got, on, got into it one time on the perseverance of the saints. And one of them said, well, I said, you know, uh, Jesus says in John 10, no man can pluck me out of my father's hand. And uh, you are secure. And you know what the response was? Well, you can pluck yourself out of, out of their hand. I said, what is this no one can pluck yourself? That means you <laughs> as well. We are secure. One time I had a, um, in my first pastorate, had a, a joint funeral with another pastor uh, of a church, and he was, he knew where I stood theologically, and we were riding together in the car, and he was just chomping at the bit to ask me. He says, John, you believe in once saved, always saved? And I go, yeah. What about those who believed and then no longer believe? I said, Noon, that was his name, Noon. He said, I said, Noon, they were never believers. They were never genuine believers. That's the answer to that question. I mean, that's what Jesus is talking about. If you abide in me, then you will bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you never abode in me. You're a dead branch. And Hebrews 12, um, 14 through 17 is good, talks about the necessity of holiness of life without which no one will see God. This is why our confession makes a, a fine distinction theologically between the great doctrine of justification and the great doctrine of sanctification. You gotta keep them distinct because we're not saved by our good works. But then you got to understand there is a link, there's a, a union between the two that's inseparable. Meaning, if I'm really justified, I will bear fruit. And that's what, this is what Jesus has been saying. In, if you turn back to John 15, what Jesus has said in verses five and six, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've mentioned this before. Verb tenses are very important in the Greek language. And if, if the Greek-inspired writer wanted to convey ongoing action, meaning a lifestyle, they would often use the, the present tense. And guess what Jesus is using here? The present tense. If you constantly abide in me, you're going to bear fruit. 
It's just a given. The reason we will bear fruit is because we've been born again by the Spirit. We have the Spirit within us. And when we have the Spirit within us, the Spirit is going to be sure that we bear fruit. Now, turn, over, turn back to, to 1 John. Turn back to 1 John chapter 3. This is brought out very well. All right, we're going to look at 1 John 3, starting at verse 5. You're going to see so much parallel between 1 John and John. Well, one reason is John's the one that wrote both of them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. All right, 1 John 3, 5. And you know that he... He appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him, that's present tense, no one who constantly abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Now, some have really struggled with that, saying, wait a minute, I love Jesus, I want to serve Jesus, but I, I know I sin every day, sin every day. So, if, what, what what am I going to do? You know, here's where knowing some Greek language really helps. It's present tense. The one who abides in Him doesn't constantly sin. It's not their lifestyle, so it's not that complicated. All right, verse seven. Let little children let no one deceive you. The one who practices righteousness. By the way. I'm, I use the American standard. Now, if you have the King James, it says, it may say, does anyone have the King James? What does it say, Dave? Verse 7. Our little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. All right, doeth there. Now, it, it is, the King James at, at, in verse 7 kind of conveys an ongoing activity, and that's what it, what it is. It's a The one uh, is practicing... No one who uh, practices, the one who practices righteousness is righteous. Now, verse 8, and here, now notice the contrast between 7 and 8. The one who practices sin is of the devil. Whoa, uh, that's pretty straightforward, isn't it? The devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for his purpose that he might destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Now, the King James there probably says just sin, right? Verse 9. Does not, does not commit sin. Okay. There, it's important. And in the, in the, the translators, the New American Standard understood the Greek there, and that's why they used the word practice, which really does convey the Greek language better there. So what we see here in verse 10, well, no, verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him. Who do you think that seed is? What is that seed? Exactly. Remember, John, uh, Jesus said, 
uh, I'm going to send to him, and when he comes, he will abide in you, and he will teach you all things. That seed is the Holy Spirit. And he cannot continue in sin because he is born of God. By Verse 10, by this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice his righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. In other words, the one who does not bear fruit is not of God, is not born of God. When Jess was preaching through the parable of the sower and the seed, remember the, he highlighted who was the only genuine uh, believer in the sower and the seed? Do you remember? It's the soil where the seed went down and bore fruit. All the others looked good but there was shallowness of root that fell away. Others fell among the thorns. Jesus says, well, that's because they had the love of the world and they didn't last long. Remember, uh, we just looked at 1 John 2. It says, all those who love the world do not love the Father. And it says if in 1 John 3, John makes it very clear don't be like Cain who killed his brother. And it says, we know, I'm, I'm looking here, if you look at 1 John 3, um, verse 14, it's pretty clear here. We know we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love, meaning Continue in love, abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 17, whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? You know, as a Christian, if we see someone in great need, physical need, do you not want to help them? Do you not? What did Jess talk about um, this morning about pitying? We pit uh, those who really know the Lord. They pity the, unfor- the, uh, the unfortunes of others. It says, if I know someone, without a doubt, they are in great need, physical need, and I go... I could care less. <laughs> well, where's the love of God in him? Doesn't sound like the fruit of the Spirit there. And what is one of the fruit of the Spirit? The first one mentioned in Galatians 5, love. And, and so we see here the non-bearing branch, turning back to just John 15, the non-bearing branch or fruit-bearing branch is worthless. It's dead. And notice what Jesus says you do with that uh, branch. Verse 6. Anyone who does not abide in me, 
He's thrown away. It dries up. They gather them up, cast them to the fire. They are burned. And so what we see here, it's, it's thrown away. It is burned. Now, when Jesus used that, this is pretty serious. Here is the doctrine of eternal punishment, one of the places. And I want us to take a look at some of the other portions in Scripture that teaches the doctrine of eternal punishment that Jesus taught. Now, Jesus is the most loving man without a question that's ever walked the earth because he's the God-man. And the most loving person that's ever walked the earth said some of the hardest things you will ever find in the Word of God. I mean, you know his attitude towards the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You brood of vipers. I mean, you whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you have the smell of rotten bones. That's what he said to them to their face. Jesus said it like it is because he says there is a heaven and there is a hell. In fact, in the scriptures, you can do your own study. He talked more about hell than he ever did talk about heaven, which ought to say something to us. There are five elements of a person, of the punishment that a person bears when they do not have fruit. Five elements of non fruit-bearing individuals. Number one, he, it's thrown away as a branch. It is already condemned. It, we saw in John 3, verse 18, Jesus says, if you don't believe in me, you're already condemned. You're condemned by the fact you didn't believe. So, it's it's a branch that is already condemned because it's dead. Secondly, it dries up and it, and it withers. Third, the branches are picked up or they're gathered. And again, turn over to Matthew 13, 30, and you see where Jesus taught that in one of the parables that that Jess preached on some, some time ago. Matthew 13, 30. He's talking about the uh, allowing the wheats and the tares to grow together. Allow both to grow together into the harvest and in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles and do what? Burn them up. To the wheat, gather them in, into my barn. So they're gathered up and they're burned. He says they're, they're thrown into the fire, the dead branch. The branch that is not bearing fruit is spiritually dead, Jesus says, and deserves to be gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned up. 
Let's take a look at uh, several passages. While you're still there in Matthew 13, just look over at verses 41 and 42. It says, Then the Son of Man will send forth his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you look over, um, let's turn back to Matthew 7, look at verses 15 through 20. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. There you go. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Then finally, turn over to Revelation 20. Look at uh, Revelation 20, beginning at verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are. Also, they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, and every one according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown in the lake of fire. We see that Jesus says, hell is a place. He says the worm there in, in, in Mark 9 46 through 48, hell is a place where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. That Greek word there for hell, there are several times uh, you got to look at the context. Hades can simply refer to the grave, the physical grave, and 
Hell that Jesus is talking about here is Gehenna. And it's a place of fire. You know, Gehenna was the refuse valley outside of Jerusalem. It's where you threw all the garbage. It's where you threw dead bodies over the wall of Jerusalem, down, down into the valley of Hinnom. And in this valley, you, you can imagine the, the putrefaction going on there. And fires were always burning in the valley of Hinnom. So you see, Jesus takes that imagery, which was real, and says, there's a real place where souls go to that don't believe in me. And so what we see here, now we must not miss the personal accountability of the branches. Why are the unfruitful branches cut off and burned? It's because they did not continually abide in the vine. That's what Jesus said, right, in John 15. All the branches that do not abide in me, I cut them off and I throw them away. Now, it is the responsibility of every individual who comes into close contact with the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ. It is the expectation. You know, when the, when the gospel is preached to individuals, those to whom it's preached are under divine command to repent and believe. And if anything we have learned thus far from John the Gospel of John, is that Jesus was constantly exhorting people to believe in him. Just believe in me. He was critical of the the Pharisees. Why don't you believe in me? Look at the signs, the miracles, what I'm doing. What am I trying to tell you? I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. Believe me. No, we, we don't believe. They were under divine command to believe. I want to take a look at several passages that shows the importance of the personal obligation of anyone who comes into contact with the gospel. Here's the gospel preaching. And I will say this. Oh, we're, we're firmly believe in divine election. There's no question about it. And we also firmly believe if you are one of the elect, guess what? You will believe at some point in your life. God will bring you to himself. That's exactly what Jesus said in, in John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will, will come to me and I will raise him up on the last day. And it's our responsibility. So if anybody is in hell, They have no one to blame but themselves because they refused to heed the command. Let's take a look at some of these commands of that God expects us to heed the gospel message. All right, let's take a look. 
turn, turn back to John 6, 29. John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. You want to know what, what work you ought to do? Believe in me. Turn over to Acts 17. Verses 30 and 31. Now let me give you the context here. This is the Apostle Paul in his preaching at the Areopagus in Athens. And Paul came preaching the resurrection of the dead. Now he was speaking, he met up with Stoic philosophers and Epicureans. And they just, they go, what is this strange teaching? You can't be serious. Both the Stoics and the Epicureans did not believe in life after death. So they didn't obviously believe in a resurrection. And you know what they called Paul? They called him a, they called him an idle babbler, which is what it means is you are a pseudo philosopher. You are not a philosopher. And this, this resurrection of the dead. Now, did that bother Paul? Did he, did he say, well, you know, because they don't believe in the resurrection, I guess I'm going to have to change the message. Is that what he did? Of course not. Here's what he did. To those who did not believe that men rise from the dead, here's what he said to them. Verse 30, 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. Now he is declaring them that they should repent. Verse 31. Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. To those philosophers who didn't believe that men rose from the dead, guess what? It doesn't mean a thing that you don't believe in it. Doesn't mean a thing. Because men are going to be there on the last day and they will be judged. And guess who's going to judge you? It's going to be the man who God raised from the dead. That's going to be your judge. Look at um, Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Verse 5. Well, we got to start. Um, verse 3 to get the context. Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, According to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. We were made apostles, Paul said, 
that we might make known to the Gentile world the obedience of faith. In other words, the command to be, to believe. Obey, believe. Turn to Romans 16, the end of the, uh, the book of Romans. Look at verses 25 and 26. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scripture of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, God has made known to all nations leading to obedience of faith. This, what God is expecting, in 1 John 3, 23, I'll just tell you that. It says, this is his command that we believe in his only son, Jesus Christ. This is God's commandment. Believe in Jesus. What is faith? It's obeying the gospel message. That's made very clear. Turn over to 2 Thessalonians Chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians 1. We'll start at verse 6. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who what? Do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When when we are witnessing to people or a preacher is doing engaged in formal preaching, karugna, karugma in, in the scriptures, we're to be forceful in our witnessing and in our preaching. Now, by being forceful doesn't mean that we're disrespectful, but it does mean we just say it like it is. And we make clear that men are under divine obligation to repent and believe or perish. You know, in Luke 13, somebody asked Jesus, what about that, those people whom Pilate mingled their blood with their sacrifices? Were there greater sinners than others? That was the question posed to Jesus. Jesus says, they weren't greater sinners, but I say unto you, likewise, either you repent or you likewise will perish. So the command is always out there 
to believe in Jesus or else. And you're going to find people, they're going to, be, they're going to resist somewhat. And again, somebody will say to you, they maybe have already said this to you. Well, I just don't believe that. I don't believe in that, Jesus. Well, there's no other Jesus. Well, I don't believe in that kind of God. I don't believe in a wrathful God that sends people to hell. Well, doesn't matter. There is no other God. So it's not a matter whether you like it or not. It's whether it is the truth. That's the only thing that question. And I'm here to, to bear witness to you. It is the truth. And I'm here to tell you, repent and believe in Jesus. You don't have to go to that place. You don't have to. I'm telling you there's a way out. Take it. And so what we see here is that Jesus is saying, again, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in me constantly, you will bear fruit. Remember in the parable of the sower and the seed, uh, uh, the sower, the seed and the sower is um, some bear fruit greater than others. Some, what did Jesus say? Some thirtyfold, some sixtyfold, some hundredfold. But here's the point: you do bear fruit. You do bear fruit. It will always be there. And if 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 I'm justified, if you're justified, you will be sanctified. And you will manifest a godly lifestyle. And um, next week, we'll, I'll, I will demonstrate to you, sadly, how some, because they come up with a strange view of John 15, they have gone off on a horrible track that will be ruinous to people's souls. And that is, that is the men of the federal vision. And we'll, I will show you just how badly they exegete the scriptures, how badly they interpret John 15. And get this, what they're doing, I'll just give you a pre, pre, prelude. It all boils down to the fact they failed to make the distinction between the visible and the invisible church. And the minute they did that, they were in a heap of trouble theologically. And it, what, what that means is it had implications to the point they, they end up, these are reformed men, mind you. They end up denying every one of the five points of Calvinism, every single one of them. Because once you deny that distinction, then you're going to have you're going to have some real trouble dealing with some passages, and you, you've got to maintain that distinction. And by failing to make that distinction, they end up believing in baptismal regeneration, meaning if you are physically baptized, then you're saved. 
But then what do you deal with those who apostatize? Because they say at their baptism, they are truly united with Jesus as the vine. Well, what about the apostate? You know where they go? They have to deny the perseverance of the saints. That's where they have to go. It's inevitably, theologically, they have no other choice. And that's where they go. So all these, all these doctrines, it's like a domino effect. They go down, 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 down. Because you went astray in not understanding the metaphor of the vine and the branches. That's how serious it is. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. We pray that you would open up by the power of your spirit to fully understand the scriptures. Anoint us with that spirit. We beg of you in Jesus' name, amen.